Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all doing well. You know, I often wonder how all of you parents are doing out there, especially those of you with little ones. I really do. I think every day wondering how everybody's doing, if you're finally getting to do a little bit more, if you're getting to see a few more people, getting to do any play dates, if you're able to go back to some preschools, even part-time in your area, um, if you're just safely getting back to life to some degree, because I know, you know, it's been really hard here. Um, keeping this going, keeping everybody going. I've been working really hard to keep the kids on track with school and still stay on track with everything I'm doing here, running the podcast, the classes, answering member questions, creating video tips for YouTube and the Instagram channel. And it's a lot. We balance our lives and, you know, are at home with our kids a lot, doing a lot more with them than we have in the past. And it just, you know, keeps going and keeps going, at least here in California, it keeps going. We're not getting back to school anytime soon still. So I think about you all a lot. I hope everybody um, is doing well and hanging in there out there. But before I get to the questions, I do just want to say thank you again to everyone for all of your support. For those who've come to the YouTube channel, to Instagram, have liked, subscribed, and shared some of the videos. Um, I'm just excited to see them growing. We hit 150, woohoo, <laughs> 150 subscribes this week on the YouTube channel. So we're heading pretty quickly up to 200. And when we get to 500, I'm going to add another full class onto that channel. So I'm excited to see that get up to there. Um, if you're interested in that, you can just search for Your Village on YouTube. And I think it's the top now, the one that comes up in the top in the search. So you can check that out. On Instagram, if you're interested, I'm ironmom2020. And I do post most of the videos out there as well. It takes a little bit more effort and work to try to get it because I can only do it from my phone. It's an app, so it has to be done from the phone or the iPad. It, I can't do it on a desktop. So it takes a little bit more finagling to try to get those videos uploaded to, to there. Um, okay, so the questions. The first one is about a two-year-old and hitting. The second one is just about some general issues with some um, attention-seeking behaviors at bedtimes and with potty training. So that'll be our second question. All right, so here's our first question, and I did not write down the mom's name who sent this question in. I apologize, and I can't seem to find it. So I'm just going to read the question and the answer. Um, put any name to it you like, and if it's yours, you'll recognize it, but I don't have the name to go with it. Okay, I just discovered your podcast, and I love it. It really is changing my mind and what type of parent I want to be for my son. Max turned two in the middle of March. For the most part, he has been an easy kid. We haven't had any major issues with him until recently. For the past several months, he started to hit. Not hitting hard, but raising his hands to hit and move it back and forth. He's doing this to us, our family, when he's tired or sometimes upset. What worries me the most is that he's trying to hit our neighbor's daughter every time he sees her or in, on most occasions. 
I've been paying attention and I can't find out what triggers it. In his play dates, he only tries to hit the same girl. At the park, if he doesn't like a kid playing with a toy he's using, too, he tries to hit also. We have tried time out, talking to him, showing him gentle hands, but I don't see an improvement. It's been two months dealing with this issue and we sometimes lose our cool. If I tell him I got hurt when he hit me, he feels bad. He touches my face gently or cries. I have noticed sometimes when he tries to hit the kids, he looks at me to see what I'm going to do. We hosted a party with five kids and he kept hitting our neighbor's daughter for no reason. He would just go and hit her again and again. We need help, please. Thank you. Okay, so... I'm going to get into a bunch of different reasons. There's different reasons for kids' misbehavior, and I'm going to get into all these reasons that it could be happening, Um, starting with kids hitting, kicking, and biting are all really common in the toddler years, as so many of you who have been listening for a while have learned and realized. So I get these questions a lot. So the good news is, developmentally, this is very normal. I think we often worry when our kid is the one at the park or the play date who's reacting aggressively, like we must be doing something wrong because all the other kids seem to be behaving. But at the next play date, it's another kid who's hitting or acting out. So these things will just rotate. But the truth is, it is a developmental stage for many kids. Now, why do some kids hit or kick or act out physically while others do not? It really has to do with their temperament and also their development. So some kids will cry, they'll yell, they'll melt down. Others will act out more physically. Now there's a rare toddler or preschooler who handles their emotions more maturely. But kids develop at all different rates. So if their development is a little slower in some areas or faster in other areas, this is going to affect how they react to certain situations. And then, of course, you have the temperament that will also come into play. Kids who are much more emotional, who react on their emotions. So they will take more work and more coaching than kids who tend to be a little bit more mellow and are able to think through their emotions before they react, just as a natural part of who they are. So one of those areas of development is the verbal skills, the language skills. So if you have kids who develop their verbal skills really early, they're a lot less likely to act out physically because they have those communication skills on board. But most two-year-olds don't have much in the way of verbal skills yet. So yes, they can ask for something. They can ask for some water. They can ask for food. They can ask to be picked up. But saying something like, you know, getting in touch with their emotions and then saying, I was using that, or I want that back, please, or may I have a turn, or I'm mad that you got that toy first, or I'm mad that you took that toy from me, that's a lot of skill at two years old. It's not just the verbal skill, but it's the emotional skill and the social skills all put together. It just takes time to all develop. So the emotion skill is recognizing the emotion, and then the social skill is reacting to that emotion in whatever way that they're going to react to it. So they have to have the verbal skill, they have to have the recognition of the emotions underneath, then they have to have the social skills on top of it. They have to have all three of those in order to be at a place where they're going to start reacting in a way that we consider more appropriate. So at two years old, them reacting more physically or reacting more impulsively is really not something to be concerned about. It is just something we need to work on. So these are the things that we are working with, that we are helping our toddlers and preschoolers to work on over time. Now, I've covered a lot of ways to work on this on the long term in many of the other episodes, ways to work during the quiet times. On their emotion skills, on their social skills is the time that it will take hold the most. 
I also cover this in the series Your Developing Toddler and Your Developing Preschooler classes. Lots of ideas for building these skills. Verbal skills, cognitive skills, social and emotional skills, the ways you can work with your children in games and activities and all kinds of ways to help them build those skills so that they have those at the ready when they need them, when they're interacting with their friends and their peers at school. But I also want to talk about what to do in the moment when this happens because this seems to be the area where this mom is really looking for the answers. What does she do in that moment? Just keep in mind that you work in the moment, but you also want to work during the quiet times when things are quiet. You want to sit down and help them learn different social skills. You want to help them build their emotion skills. You want to help teach them about sharing and taking turns. And those are things all covered in those classes. But also, I want to mention a couple of other things. And first is that children, and not even just children, but people in general, will react in certain ways to get their needs met. It's not always the most healthy way, and we hope that by the time we reach adulthood that we have created healthy coping, healthy interactive relational communication skills. So unfortunately, this just isn't always the case. But right here we're talking about children, and that's why we're all here, because we want to give our children those skills to become really good communicators and really good in relationships, whether it's a romantic relationship, a friendship, a working relationship into adulthood. That is one of, for me, one of my biggest goals for my children is that they grow up and are able to manage relationships and understanding and have a back and forth dialogue, listening and responding to other people very well on the job with their friendships with their family members, with their romantic relationships. And so that starts here in these toddler years. So what we want to do with our young children is, well, and even with our children in general, if they're misbehaving, we want to look beneath the surface for the reason. What is the reason for the misbehavior? Common reasons include for power, for attention, for revenge, and for inadequacy. So I go deeply into each of these, how to tell the reason your child is engaging in negative behaviors in the class, misbehaviors and solutions. So if you're curious about that, want to see more about that, you can check out that class. I also mentioned other reasons that are just um, environmental reasons that can also get in the way and have children misbehave a little more frequently during certain times when there's some environmental reasons happening. In this case, with both the neighbor and with the family, my guess is that this is for attention. When it comes to playing at the park, it is inadequacy, and I'm going to break both of these down. In the case of the neighbor, I'm guessing at one point, probably the first time or the second time that he did hit her, he got some kind of reaction or attention from her or from an adult, and so it created a pattern. Now, it's hard when kids react to other kids because we don't have any control about how the other child will react. A kid who gets hit may yell or scream, and so this gives a really big feedback to the child who exhibited the behavior. They're not realizing they're actually hurting the other child. They don't realize the scream or the yell or something means that they're hurt. They realize that it's a, a cause and effect, and when they have a big effect on their world, that is something really interesting to young children. So when they get an effect, they want to repeat that effect. And so they're just kind of testing it, not trying to hurt, but just out of curiosity, trying to learn, wow, I get this effect. Am I going to get it again? Or if I get the same effect, am I going to get a different effect the next time I I do this behavior? So it's really just a testing. And I actually remember when one of my kids would misbehave at the dinner table. 
and you know, do something silly, do something inappropriate, and at least one, if not both, usually both, would laugh. Well, when you get that kind of reaction, it rewards the behavior. And I didn't have a lot of control over the other two laughing at the one who was misbehaving. So, you know, that brings in a whole other area of of trying to work on behavioral issues. As adults, we can ignore it. As adults, we can send them away from the table when they misbehave. But when you have two other people, young people, who are going to react to their behavior and it's going to give them reinforcement for that behavior, it then makes it more difficult to break it. So if she did yell or scream and he got a reaction, then he's looking for that reaction again, and that's why he's going back to doing it. So that could be what happened there. So again, he doesn't realize he's causing pain when someone yells. He only knows he got the reaction, that he's having that effect, and it's new and exciting. So they want to elicit a reaction, and the bigger or the louder the reaction is will increase the likelihood they will repeat the behavior. So obviously we can't ignore the behavior, but I do like to help parents understand that oftentimes the reaction and the attention children get from misbehaving can actually increase it. So we just need to be aware and careful about how and what kind of attention we give to it. So if they do something and they get some big reaction out of us, we scream, we yell, we jump up in the air, we run over there and what are you doing? That's a big reaction. They're like, wow, I have a lot of power. And so that can tend to increase the behavior. So we wanna watch out for those types of reactions. So one of the indicators I'm getting that he's looking for attention is that he's looking to the parent to see what the reaction will be. It's like, hmm, what are you gonna do? It's kind of a power play, it's an attention seeking. And you did mention that sometimes you have lost your cool. So that has, um, that bigger reaction could potentially increase the behavior. This is a big win for a child. When they can get mom or dad to lose their cool, it gives them a lot of power. So I know it can get really frustrating, but understanding that the behavior is about not having skills to share feelings in other ways, that it's looking for some type of reaction sometimes, not in a mean way, but just, can I get a reaction? What kind of a big reaction can I get? That's really interesting and intriguing to young children. Also know that empathy does not begin to develop until around three to three and a half. And then it continues until about age nine or 10. So knowing that at the younger ages, before three, they aren't doing it to hurt, even at three, three to four, they're still not doing it to, to knowingly hurt someone or even understanding that it hurts someone. So that's where we're really working on that, teaching them that it does hurt someone. They will mimic emotions. So if we have a sad look on our face, they will mimic that at two or younger. They start mimicking very, very early. So you may see them mimic your facial expression. You may see them showing an expression that you think that they're actually exhibiting when in fact they may just be mimicking yours. But this is a precursor to empathy, so it's a great thing, making all kinds of faces. That's why we make different faces at baby. We're working on those mirror neurons, on helping them develop empathy, on develop different emotions, and showing them the looks on our faces. That's why we do that. And it starts to, those very, very, very early precursors precedes to developing empathy later on. But they don't begin to understand that their actions actually hurt another person until starting around three for some kids, but usually three and a half to four for most when they'll really be like, oh, when I do this, it actually hurts this other person. Also knowing that there are those underlying reasons for misbehavior and addressing those underlying reasons. And then lastly, understanding that reactions, especially big ones, can increase behaviors. 
will hopefully help parents to keep calm, work through with that kind of understanding of where the toddler or preschooler is socially, emotionally, cognitively, and with language also verbally. So verbal is a part of cognitive development. It's one piece of cognitive development. So I want to touch on the inadequacy piece that I mentioned earlier, and I am going to get to the steps on what to do in the moment as well. Inadequacy means they don't have the skills to handle the situation that they're in. They're kind of in over their head. They don't have the skills to handle that situation in the moment. And so sometimes kids will act out just out of the lack of skill. So that's what inadequacy means. It means we need to help them with their skill set. So with the boy at the park and wanting the toy back um, that he was taken from him or that he was using and then hitting, that's where this takes some practice and some reminders, but we're working with him on his skills, emotion skills, social skills, verbal skills, and teaching him about turn taking. Can I have a turn? Or I was using that. This is where you step in and coach. If you were using that, you need to tell him you're using that. Tell him you're still using it. He can have a turn. Now, this is really young. They're not going to have great language for this at two. So this is why they do tend to just react by hitting or grabbing the toy back. So it's going to take a little bit of time, but you want to step in and help coach them on how to work through those issues. Also to remember that at two years old, this is where the development of self is really starting to come on board. So this is when everything is about me, me, my, mine. So when they're playing with a toy or they brought a toy to the park and another kid comes in and grabs it, they see that as a personal attack, a personal affront. That is not just mine, but it's part of me. And that someone went and just took it without asking um, is difficult for young toddlers. Now we know that that's not what the little boy is doing, the other child is doing, right? There's like, oh, that's a cool looking red shiny bucket. I'm gonna take that. They're just, they're not realizing that, but that is how the other child will take it. That's mine, how dare you take that from me? So, We want to coach them through these scenarios. So sharing and turn-taking is something that also takes some time. They don't usually get good at it until three and a half, closer to four for some kids, a lot of kids. Um, Turn-taking is what you can start with earlier, but you can always work on this, teaching them how to ask, how to take turns, even at two. Definitely be patient with the process. And if there's a problem with the toy, then it's better to just take it away and put it away. Um, I remember when I used to take my kids to the park and a lot of times I didn't even bring toys or I'd bring just a few. And, um, you know, if, and if it was just us, it was fine. Or another child or two would come around. But when it started to be a whole lot of kids, I'd usually take the toys and just put them away and let them just play in the sand or go do the slides or something like that. Because the more kids there, the more chaos, the more kids are kind of grabbing toys and sharing them around. And it sometimes creates problems with very young children. So you may wanna just consider how to circumnavigate that whole issue altogether if there becomes too much of a crowd, too busy at the park, and it's gonna cause problems with the social skills. And to learn more about the turn-taking, like I think I shared a little bit earlier, but your developing preschooler is especially where I get into how to teach kids about turn-taking and sharing, how you're gonna coach them through that, how you're gonna help them get better at it, how you're gonna help them become more patient with that process of waiting for a turn. And so that's in that class. And the social skills also for the toddlers and preschoolers are in those development classes. Also, there's your developing infant class that starts even earlier for developing cognitive, verbal, emotional, social, physical skills as well for infants. So you can check those out at yourvillageonline.com if you want to learn more about that. 
When we get back after a word from our sponsor, I will go into the steps for working with young kids in the moment when they are acting aggressively. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home threads, love where you live. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important, but did you know indoor air quality can be up to a hundred times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Now that we're back from the break, I'm going to talk about what to do in the moment when a child engages in aggression. So when you're dealing with a toddler or preschooler who engages in aggressive behavior, you want to act swiftly, sternly, and matter-of-factly, staying calm. You want to stay as calm as you can because, again, those bigger reactions are going to perpetuate the behavior. You want to explain the behavior is not acceptable. You want to coach better ways. You want to teach them to use their words. You decide if you want to give one warning or you want to give a no tolerance policy on that. I would at first go for a single warning. So let's say you're at the park or playing with the neighbor and he hits. You want to remove him from the play sternly but calmly. Sit down and explain. Hitting hurts. You need to use your words. What can you say instead? 
Now, this is a really important piece because kids need a new go-to behavior. Just saying no hitting doesn't give them a replacement behavior. They don't know what else to do. And this is the area where parents, um, the, the pieces that are really important to change the behavior are the ones that parents tend to, that, well, a lot of times just don't know about. So you want to tell them what to do. Also at two and three, you want to stay away from using negatives like no, don't, or stop because their language skills aren't strong enough to translate the meaning and then go the opposite with the no, don't, or the stop. So don't jump on the couch. They hear jump on the couch. The no or the stop can get lost. The same with hitting. We don't hit. No hitting. They, they might not be able to understand that you're saying the opposite, that hitting is bad, that, right, that, uh, you know, they're just hearing hit. And so they may not be understanding do not hit, like we don't hit. So you want to say hitting hurts. Use your words. Telling them what to do and trying to refrain from what not to do until they're at least three and a half to four. So, Helping them with, you need to use your words. How can you use your words? What could you have said? What could we say? And then helping them come up with the words to use. Then you want them to practice. These are the two that are really, really important. The two important steps in here. Giving them a go-to behavior, a new go-to behavior with a script of what to say and then have them practice. So a lot of times at first, you're going to have to give them the words if they can't come up with them. Most of the times they won't be able to. I was using that. That's my truck. Something like that. It's, they're young, so they're not going to have a lot of language yet. So they need to use their words. Then, okay, let's practice. I want to hear you say it and have them say it two or three times because you want that to get in there as a new neurological pattern. You want to help that get in there. Now you can give a warning. If you hit someone again, we will have to leave the park and try again tomorrow. So it sends a really strong message that hitting is not tolerated. You do this once or twice and your toddler will likely work much harder to find a different way. And the other thing I would tell my kids is if you don't know what to do, come get me. If you're getting too upset and you can't find the words, come ask me for help. And then I would come and help them intervene in the situation. Now, that's the same thing with playing with a friend. If you hit again, we will have to go home or I will have to have your friend go home. It's not the most fun. It's not the most fun to have to pick up and leave and especially if you're enjoying your time with another parent or to have to send a friend home because your child isn't behaving but you can let that parent know ahead of time, listen, we've been having some trouble with some hitting. I'm just gonna let you know right now. We'd love to have you come over but if we have any trouble, he gets one warning and then if he still hits again, I will have to have you go home because we're trying to teach him better behavior. And after we do this a couple of times, this should get better and we shouldn't have to worry about it anymore. But this is something really important to us that we're working on right now. And do that with a parent that you feel really comfortable with that they totally understand. So this is a short-term pain for a long-term gain. And they will learn pretty quickly when the consequence is big. Leaving the park, ending the play date. You know, and if it's better for you, then you can go to someone else's house and just say, we're having a little problem with hitting. I'm going to give them one warning. If we have an issue, I'll just have to take them home because that might be a little easier to leave someone else's house, right, than to have to kick someone out of yours. But either of those is just fine and giving a pre-warning if it's a good friend that you feel like you can do that. Now, this is a great 
logical consequence because if we can't play appropriately and nicely with our friends, then we need to take a break from playing with them because they don't want to get hurt. They don't want to play with someone that's going to hurt them. So we end the play date and we try again another time. Now, giving the one warning is nice because it still gives them the opportunity to make better choices right then and there to remember, oh, that's right, I need to do this better and try again in that same day. But a second time means they've had the opportunity to try to do better. They're still struggling. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they're hungry. Maybe they just it's going to take a, another few times to get a little bit better at it. And they will get better and better and better over time. But for this time, it's time to end the play date and the social interaction so that they can rest up and take in what they've learned and try again the next time. Okay, the next question is from Helen. She wrote, hello, Erin, I love your podcast. I've been listening since my daughter was born. She's now two and a half, and we're having some challenges at the moment. We recently moved her from a cot to a toddler bed. She was involved in setting up the new bed, and the first night went well. She was a good nighttime sleeper and mostly napped well in her cot previously. However, since she moved into the new bed, we have found she is resisting bedtime. Initially getting into the bed, fine, but... We use the same bedtime routine as before, but then when my husband or I leave the room, she shouts, cries, slams the door, shouts for water, potty, etc. Basically anything to get us to come back. We end up going in and out of her room or calling to her from downstairs to get back into bed. This can continue for an hour until she gets tired and goes to sleep or one of us manages to settle her. Sometimes she wakes in the middle of the night and this starts up again. She has also started having daytime potty accidents most days. She had been potty trained for three months and previously rarely had accidents, maybe once a week. Sometimes it's genuinely an accident, but today I caught her tipping the weave from the potty onto the carpet on purpose. I don't know what's going on. There's a lot of stress at home due to the coronavirus lockdown, and my husband may be about to lose his job, so I'm not sure if this is what's causing the behavior or if we moved her to a toddler bed too soon. Should we move her back to the cot or stick with it? Thanks for your help. Helen, London, UK. So I love that I have parents all over the world. And I love the language differences too. The little language differences are really fun. So first, I'm really sorry to hear about your husband's job. I hope he is or has been able to stay on or find something. And these are really uncertain times for so many families. And that stress can affect our kids when we're dealing with the stress. They do pick up on it as much as we try to hide it from them and do our best. They, they can pick up on it. And my love goes out to all of you who are feeling uncertain, who've lost jobs or concerned about your jobs right now, and that only great things will emerge out of all of these difficulties. And I found that's always been the case in my life when, you know, we've gone through something difficult that. It's always good stuff that comes through on the other side, but it's really hard to be patient in the middle there sometimes. I know I shared last, um, it was last summer, last March, uh, a year and a half ago when my husband lost his job. And so we were really a little freaked out, honestly. He was the main breadwinner and I wasn't making much at my business yet. And so it was, you know, he paid for everything, the house and the food and the health insurance and um, you know, which came through his job because in the U.S. we don't have any kind of health care other than through corporations or if you have pre-existing conditions, it's pretty tough to get health care. Um, so that was a big concern of ours. And it actually worked out really well for us. He got some freelance work right away. He got another job, full-time job in July. And had he stayed at his old job, had he not been laid off, 
through the pandemic, he would have been laid off because it's a job that definitely went away. It was at a theme park. And obviously, as we all know, theme parks are not operating right now. And he would have been unemployed right now. So it really was for the best. It really did work out for us. And we are extremely grateful for that. So sorry for that whole tangent, just but just to share a little bit of our experience with that um, scenario. So this is a really great question to follow up from the last question. Although the behavior is very different, it does follow along some of the same reasons as the previous question, that we want to look behind the behavior to find the reason for it. So in this case, again, I want to say this behavior is engaging in attention seeking. So she's looking for someone to come back and spend time with her at bedtime. So she's doing whatever she needs to do to get mom or dad to come back up and give her some attention at bedtime. Now, it also could be mixed with some power seeking, right? Because there's not a lot that's more powerful than getting a parent to come back and pay attention to you when they've told you it's time for bed or you're really supposed to be on your own and you get them to come back and they get some kind of interaction from you. So you want to work from that mindset. So again, that class misbehaviors and solutions talks about how you can tell the difference. And sometimes there's more than one reason for a misbehavior. You'll see that there's multiple reasons sometimes. There's lots of ways to work on these in the moment and for the long term. But I'm going to talk about for this behavior in particularly what to do in the moment. Well, for both of these behaviors, when it comes to bedtime, you want to give little to no attention to the behavior. If she's shouting, crying, slamming the door, shouting for water, you want to ignore, ignore, ignore. Let her do what she will. If she doesn't get the attention, it will stop. There is no payoff. She's looking for a payoff. She's looking for attention. If she doesn't get it, she'll stop doing it. Now, since she has gotten some attention up to this point, she will likely ratchet this up when she doesn't get attention. She will likely get louder. She'll get more insistent. She'll pull out new ideas and try things to get attention. She may pick up something from her room and toss it down the stairs. She may do something to try to be like, this used to get attention and it's not working now, so I'm going to up it another level. So you may see that happen. So I just say this so that you can be ready and understand and have a plan for how you're going to deal with that. If you do need to step in and stop her because she's throwing something that could break or you feel like this is just over the top and she needs to get back to her room, you can do it with as little interaction as possible. You want to know that ignoring and limiting the interaction as much as possible, that will make this a very short-lived three to five nights getting through this. So by the third night, it should be greatly reduced. The fourth and fifth night, sometimes a little bit of the sixth They'll try a little bit of something, but at that point, what we call the extinction burst should be over. And I talk about that in the Intro to Discipline class. It's a basic general class about discipline, about human behavior, and about why some things work the opposite of what we think they will. It also talks about parenting styles and how those affect outcomes in children, especially as adults, in their success and happiness in life. So there's some great basic concepts in that class. But so just know that you reach the extinction burst after about the third night, it will start to drop off drastically after that. And she will do very little to nothing to get the attention and she'll just start going to bed and falling asleep. So if you need to interact at all, you want to refrain from looking her in the eye or saying much of anything, something like it's bedtime or say nothing at all. If she's like, I need this, I need that, it's bedtime. You walk her back to bed, it's bedtime. You walk her back to bed. You don't say, you don't look her in the eye. 
You don't engage in the conversation. You don't engage in any kind of a power struggle. You don't engage in whatever it is that she's trying to ask for or say. You're going to walk her back. You can wait outside her room if you think she's going to come out right away. And as soon as she walks out, put her right back. Again, not looking at her, not saying a word. You're going to stay calm, stay resolved. You can have a coaching session the day before. And I I actually recommend this for uh, parents to do this. Have a coaching session that same day, earlier on in the day, and then again before bedtime. Letting her know the new bedtime will be different, that this is how it's going to go, that you won't be engaging with her at all for any reason once she's tucked in. You're going to take care of everything before she gets tucked in. The water, the potty, anything she may need, all has to be taken care of before then because once she's tucked in, she's tucked in. Then you remind her again right before the bedtime routine starts. You let her know she needs to get last hugs, water, potty done now before you start the bedtime routine. This way you know she doesn't really need any of those things. She's only doing it to get your attention or for a power play. Same thing with the potty. As little attention as possible for the behavior. If she makes a mess, she cleans it up with your guidance. She cleans up her underwear. She cleans up the floor. Oh, I see you spilled. I know you know how to get your wee into the potty, so we need to clean it up. Here's the towel. After you wipe it up, we put it in the hamper. Now, I'm not sure what word you use in the UK for the place where you put the soiled laundry, but the hamper is what we use. So you're just going to guide her into cleaning it up. Now, you know, toddlers aren't going to do a great cleanup job. That's not the point. You're going to have to go back and do some of it yourself, but you're going to do it with as little attention to the whole thing as possible. Oh, here you go. Clean it up. You're going to show her how to wipe it up. You're probably going to go back and wipe it up yourself more thoroughly later with some cleaner, that kind of thing. But it's just, it's letting her know that when we make a mess, we clean it up and that she will have to take some responsibility for that, her mess, her cleanup. Like I mentioned before, for working on curbing unwanted behaviors, the class misbehaviors and solutions is really good for that. The class focus on the positive and all the discipline tools for each age, toddlers, preschoolers, and kids 5 to 10 are great for increasing cooperative behaviors. So this is the other half. We want to decrease the negative behaviors, but we want to increase the positive behaviors. And this comes by using the positive discipline, the focus on the positive types of things, and some of the other tools that will increase the cooperative behavior. So that will naturally decrease the negative because they're getting attention for doing things positively. Also, the You're Developing series, Infants, Toddlers, Preschoolers, for ideas for games, activities, toys, and more, for developing all the skills, cognitive and language, physical, both gross and fine motor development, social skills, emotional skills, all available on the website at yourvillageonline.com. Another quick update, I always throw at the end for anyone who's interested This has been an exciting week in our house, and this will probably continue to be so for the foreseeable future. So the kid's dad shared a couple weeks ago that now that he's been remote for so long, he will be able to stay working remotely even after there is a return to the office. And he said, we aren't limited to staying in the LA area anymore. Is there somewhere else we'd want to go? And at first I said, no, no way. I didn't want to leave my friends. I've made a lot of great friends here. Um, and I just, they've supported me through so much, through everything that, you know, that we've been through as a family and that we've all been through, through the pandemic. And I, I didn't want to leave my friends. But then I started thinking about it. And as I've tried to look for my own 
household, a place to move or a piece of land, which is really what I wanted. It was a piece of land and to build a house. I'm just not finding anything and nothing is, is resonating with me. And the market is, of course, crazy here anyway. But I realized that this just isn't where I want to settle. As soon as the kids graduate and move out of our house or houses, I guess it'll be at that point, that this is not where I'm going to want to stay. I'm going to be out of here. So I realized it was that I didn't want to invest in something in this city when it's not where I want to be long term, especially building a house. I didn't want to put a whole bunch of energy into designing, developing, building something. And it's, you know, that's a big project for three years and then five years later, move out. So I started thinking about it and always wanted to move back to San Diego. I lived there for, I think, four to five years before I moved up to Los Angeles, before I had met the kid's dad and we'd gotten married and had kids. So now we're looking into moving down there. So we're going down for three days next week. We're looking at homes. I'm looking at some land. We're showing the kids a few of the more major attractions. And then we're going to make some decisions about if this is the right move for the family. So at first I was feeling a bit anxious about it, about changing schools, the kids' friends, the activities, all of that. Me leaving my friends, of course. But now I'm just really excited. I'm getting excited. And our town is really nice. It's a nice place to raise kids. It's got really good schools. Nothing is more than 15 minutes from something else for the most part. Um, I can get a kid to swim practice in 15 minutes. I can get a kid to almost any activity they have within 10 to 15 minutes. And that's probably not going to be the case in San Diego. But San Diego is just a beautiful, beautiful area. So many beautiful places, so many beautiful things. I do actually still have quite a few friends down there. So we thought, why not just go now? So as we work through this process, I will share more about how we are and will help the kids through this major life transition after all the other major life transitions they've already had to endure this past year. But I can say that they are all feeling a little anxious, but they are excited. So after we get back from that trip, I then leave two days later for my race in Tempe, Arizona. So I'll share some pics from both our family trip to San Diego and my race on my Instagram account at ironmom2020 as well. There's never a dull moment around here. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.